Before I crack on with this episode and tell you what's coming up, I wanted to take a moment to share some very sad news. Peter Chandler, wildlife warden for Exminster, passed away last week. You may remember him from the January episode of the podcast when he spoke about coppicing. He also ran hedge laying training here in my little woodland a couple of times last winter. He was passionate about woodlands and woodland management and spent much of his life dedicated to supporting wildlife and habitats. His absence leaves a big hole in our team as well as our hearts. Our thoughts go out to his family at this difficult time, so let's just take a moment to send out positive thoughts to them and offer gratitude for all he has done for wildlife in his lifetime. Welcome to the Devon Wildlife Warden podcast with me, Emily Marbay. In this episode, I will be throwing the spotlight on the Eco Church scheme. It's something I've been working on here in Abbots Kurzweil for the last few months, so I thought I'd talk a bit about what it is, why it's useful, and how to try and get your local church involved too. We'll also be hearing from Michael Wilkie, our local vicar, about why the scheme is important to him. And of course, as usual, I will be bringing you an update on what our Teambridge Wildlife Wardens have been up to over summer, as well as our plant and bird song for the month of October. The Teambridge Wildlife Warden Scheme is run by Action on Climate in Teambridge, or ACT for short. The idea is to have wardens in every parish or ward who can help their wildlife in a wide variety of ways. I am the Wildlife Warden of Abbots Kurzweil, but we have many others and are always looking for more. We do all sorts of things, from promoting wildlife gardening and recording local wildlife sightings, to working with clubs and schools, and commenting on local planning applications, and much, much more. It's all about each warden doing what they feel is necessary in their area, and which lies within their comfort zone. ACT's Wildlife Warden Scheme would not be possible without the generous assistance of our donors, details of which can be found in the episode notes. Many thanks to them all. So let's start off with the Eco Church Scheme. What is it? And is it worth getting your local church involved in this initiative or something similar? Well, churchyards are a bit of a haven for wildlife. They are often pieces of land which have remained relatively untouched for centuries. In fact, in some areas, they might be the only green space within a community, so they serve as extremely valuable repositories for wildlife. Not only this, but churchyards are not usually treated with herbicides or pesticides, which makes them more likely to be rich in wildflower and insect species or ideal habitats for encouraging these organisms. The stone walls and gravestones can host all manner of mosses and lichen species, and the trees are often old and well-established, creating a huge variety of microhabitats for insect species, which in turn attract birds, bats and other small mammals such as squirrels. However, the eco-church scheme doesn't just look at the outside space and maximising biodiversity, it looks at a host of other factors as well. So let's take things back a step and look at what the scheme actually is and aims to do. The charity A Rosha UK launched Eco Church in 2016. Now they're a Christian charity committed to bringing care for the natural world into the heart of church communities. The scheme is open to all denominations and it basically provides a framework to support churches and their leadership to take practical action on caring for God's earth. It includes a toolkit of resources, 
an online awards survey, quarterly email update, online events and conferences. The EK Church survey helps guide you to go green in all areas of your church life and offers bronze, silver and gold Eco Church awards, depending on how much action is taken to support nature. They have a free online survey and supporting resources which are designed to equip your church to express care for God's world in your worship and teaching. It covers lots of things, from how you look after your buildings and land, how you engage with your community both locally and globally, as well as in the personal lifestyles of the congregation. The survey will guide you and help you assess your progress towards an Eco Church award, and the more your church does, the more points you'll get. Some simple examples of how you might take action against climate change include things as simple as switching to a green energy company and using fair trade suppliers for tea and coffee. There are five key areas within the survey, and they are worship and teaching, the management of church buildings, management of church land, community and global engagement, and lifestyle. The survey takes about 20 minutes to fill in, but the amount of work your church does to qualify for an award and the time that takes is up to you. And once your survey indicates you have enough points to apply for an award, you'll be able to submit your application. So for an example, the majority of churches reach bronze status within about four to six months, so it's quite an attainable project in a relatively short space of time. However, as already mentioned, the award has three levels. At Bronze and Silver, your church leader can sign off your application in order to confirm your survey responses. But if you're going for gold, the award will only be granted following a visit to your church by an eco-church assessor. And they do want to encourage everybody to go for gold. Taking part in a Russia-UK eco-church scheme is absolutely free. You can register your church, complete the survey, apply for your award and receive your certificate without any charge at all from them. However, of course, there may be costs attached to the work that you're actually putting in in order to become an eco-church. You also have the opportunity to purchase a plaque so you can display your eco-church award for all to see. So how have we approached the project here in Abbots Kurzweil? Well, I had the opportunity to sit down with our local vicar for a chat about that. As usual, apologies if the sound quality is a bit sketchy in places, as this recording was actually taken outside. Huge thanks um, to Michael Wilkie, who is the vicar of Abbots Kurzweil, and um, he has kindly agreed to have a little chat with me about the Eco Church scheme for the podcast this month. So, hello, Michael. Hello, Emily. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> now, we're sat at the moment um, actually in St Mary's Churchyard. So, would you like to start by telling us just a bit about kind of how you came to the parish and? I came about three years ago now, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a beautiful church, beautiful churchyard. But we were looking at the churchyard and we were wondering, um, how can we actually get this to be greener, to make it a more accessible resource for the village in general? Mm-hmm. And then when we looked at it further, we discovered the eco-church movement. We discovered a movement called God's Acre where churches all over the country are uh, deliberately trying to use their uh, churchyards more creatively, more eco-friendly, 
as a kind of you know wildlife reserve in the middle of their community that idea fantastic and so you decided that you would like to get involved with the eco church scheme yeah well we it's, it's all of the church not just me sure um, <laughs> yeah we we looked at sort of what we could do uh, and this particular churchyard really is in the middle of this community you know quite literally really yeah many people pass through it every day through the the, the two footpaths that come through and looking at it we thought there was great scope for this to be something we hope of a wildlife haven right in the middle of the village yeah yeah and then i mean i was lucky enough to meet you at i believe it was a twinning association meal That's right, yes. <laughs> when we were chatting about sustainability um and so we thought we could help you as the local kind of eco group we could get involved um and i mean i've already talked a little bit on the podcast about kind of what we've been doing mm. um but i think it would be good to hear from you as well on kind of what your aspirations for the church are and the churchyard moving forward? Well, we, we wanted some, you know, professional help, people who know what they're talking about. Mm. Because we thought uh, making a churchyard an eco-churchyard is not the same as just letting it go wild mm. and not doing anything, as some people seem to think, but obviously, of course not. Yeah. Um, so we wanted people who knew about, you know, plants, or um, wildlife invertebrates, uh, things like that, you know, down to things such as, you know, where's the best place to put a bat box, for example? <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, I don't know much about that, but I'm sure that you know people who can give you good advice exactly. on it. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you know. I, I don't profess to know everything, but I'm yeah. getting there with my network of sort of local eco-folk. And exactly that. Absolutely. That's what I wanted to plug into, network of eco-folk. The network of eco-folk. And, um, and yeah, so we, we did, we came up and we did our little survey of the churchyard back in may i think it was april may time the bio blitz we did yeah. our bio blitz um and i think because it had been mown it was a good baseline in many ways to see what we're working with to start with and then yeah. we can see you know over the next couple of years where we can take it really yeah it's, it's, it's necessary to have a sort of a long-term vision in this i think so i think yeah. so i think it's important to realize it's not just going to all happen overnight you know you, you do have to get all the relevant people kind of bought into it. Because um, yeah. I think, you know, we could all do a changing rooms and make it look nice over a month or something, but if you haven't got the will there to keep it going and to maintain it, exactly. then, um, you know, I think it would be easy for it to fall back into its old ways. So, you know, hopefully within the next couple of years, we'll see lots of wildflowers. We'll see the return of some more small mammal and bird species. Exactly. Perhaps reptiles. Well, there used to be slow worms, I'm told. And if we, if we are able to introduce a small water feature, then, um, you know, we might even attract some little bit of aquatic life as well. That would be nice. We'd have to watch this space. <laughs> and hopefully that would, that would enable people to actually appreciate what this is. Yeah. A space you are going to now and again, but, a, a, you know, a, a living space, which That's is important. It. Yeah, it's not, not just for visiting, you know, and paying respects, but actually a, a quiet place for contemplation, somewhere to come and observe and listen to wildlife. And that life goes on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've just started working with the school doing um, the nature school on a Friday afternoon and they're only over the road. So I'm hoping at some point to bring them over for a walk around, perhaps in spring when Ex we have exactly. a yeah. yard full of wildflowers to come and identify with them. That would be nice. That would be nice. And start using the space. Wonderful. So is there anything else that you would like to, to mention or to add to what you've already said? Well, part of the idea is that this is a community-wide project. So if there is anybody who 
would like to help in any way at all, by maybe by, you know, asking what kind of bird boxes we want and maybe even building them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or coming to do a bit of, um, you know, carefully instructed weeding or something. Yeah. Um, you know, they'd be more than welcome. All volunteers welcome. Fantastic. So if you are interested, I will put a link in the episode notes to the email address. That would be brilliant. For the church. And, um, and if people have got skills or you know would uh, skills or labor that they would like to contribute or existing items that we might need feel free to get in touch absolutely brilliant well thank you so much for your time thank you for and, all your help um, i'm with you in your group thank yeah you. i'm looking forward to seeing where this project goes <laughs> many thanks again to michael for not only taking time out of his schedule to talk to me for the podcast but also for his all-round support and enthusiasm for the project Now, at this point, it's probably worth mentioning that it's all very well taking a look at the checklist and starting to do stuff to meet the required criteria, but there is much more to it than that. It's important to get the buy-in from the church, council and local community. Without that, you could put in lots of work and find you don't receive the support to keep it going. So if you want to work on this yourself, you might consider taking a first step of just getting buy-in from your local community. In Abbots Kurzweil, we did this in a couple of different ways. Firstly, we organised a public event, a mini bio-blitz to take place in spring, which Michael did mention in our chat. A fair few people turned up, but we were, as mentioned, hugely disappointed on the day to discover the churchyard had been mown and strimmed just 24 hours before. And at first, the sight of a stripped-back churchyard did fill us with dismay, and we did even question whether it was worth going ahead with the bio-blitz. But since we had advertised it, some of the team had baked cakes and we all had downloaded the iNaturalist app and learned how to use it and it was a beautiful sunny day, we thought it was best to go ahead. And on reflection, the fact that the churchyard had been mown might actually have been a useful thing because it provides a realistic baseline for the biodiversity present with the current management regime. It also provoked an emotional response from those involved, which may have helped garner the support that the scheme needs to succeed. It certainly highlighted the need to review the mowing schedule, as many of the spring flowers had been cut down in their prime and long before they had chance to set seed. In addition to our public event, we also sought to gain the support of established stakeholders, such as the church warden. By ensuring that all relevant parties were consulted on the ideas from day one, we helped to create a team spirit around what we were doing, which will hopefully help to ensure that the momentum keeps the project moving forward with little protest from wider members of the community. So after we'd met with relevant parties and got villager buy-in, the next step was to take a map of the churchyard and go for a site visit as a team. We looked at which areas of grass could be reasonably left to grow long during spring, which trees might be suitable sites for bird and bat boxes, where a hedgehog house or two might go, and whether we could introduce a small above-ground pond and some bird feeders. We also discussed establishing a compost heap, adding some lavender planters at the main church doors, and how we might involve younger community members to take an interest by adding an information board or some seasonal spotting sheets. In addition to this, we got in touch with a local sign company because we decided as a team it was important to stage signs at all entrances to the churchyard so that when members of the community came to visit, 
they could understand why some areas might appear to have been neglected when actually they are being managed to support wildlife. Again, we also hoped that the signs would encourage further support for what we were doing. So at this stage, we had a good idea of what we could achieve as a first step. So we put an article in the parish magazine, which outlined basically what we'd been up to, um, as well as including a shopping list of items we would need to make the project a success. Kind of hoping that some members of the community might come forward with materials or offers of time to support us. As it stands, we're currently waiting feedback on that part, so fingers crossed it yields something positive. So we're well on our way to addressing the land section in the eco-church survey, that there is still much that the church will need to do in order to earn its eco-church status. Other sections of the survey include looking at things like energy providers, insulation, how environmental issues are communicated during church activities, and much more. I'm not sure how much influence I can have on those areas, but Michael has a brilliant team and I'll be happy to help in any areas that I can, really. So what I'll do, I'll include a link to the Eco Church website. So if you're interested, you can have a look in the episode notes. Uh, on there, you'll find the survey as well as supporting information in case this is something you would like to look into further for your area. And of course, as time goes on, I'm sure I will have further updates on how the project's going in our area too. Moving on, we've had lots of updates regarding what the other wildlife wardens in Teambridge have been up to over summer, and here are some of the highlights. Sue, over in Chudley, organised a small mammal trapping demonstration, as well as a bat evening at the end of August, a fantastic opportunity for wildlife wardens to broaden their knowledge and skill sets, and mega thanks to her for organising that. Still in Chudley, Dave has also been busy, he took a group of 13 volunteers on a dragonfly walk at Stover Country Park, and they were lucky enough to see more than 10 species of dragonfly and damselfly. Now, if you didn't know already, Stover is a dragonfly hotspot, and 24 species have been recorded there since 1974. So if you're interested in these beautiful creatures, it's a great place to take an ID sheet and try and spot some. They are active from May to September, so if you're quick, you might just be in time to see some before the season ends. And if not, it's a great activity to look forward to next spring. Helen over in Trustham has been working with her local churchyard to improve it for nature, and she's also written a wonderful article all about it, which I will reference in the episode notes. Uh, great to see further churchyard work going on. Audrey, our illustrious founder, has been supporting Skylarks on her farm and has also written a lovely piece about it, which again I'll reference in the episode notes. In Bobby Tracy, Janet and Anne have been promoting Wildlife Warden Scheme and taking part in some dormouse monitoring. In Bridford, our volunteers organised a wildlife gardening competition. In College Ward, Christine has been working with Alistair, who is a Kingstainton Wildlife Warden, and also who leads the Kingstainton Swifts. Now, he's been working to install Swift boxes in the bell tower of St Mary's Church, and they are waiting for approval from the Diocese of Exeter. So in the meantime, Chris is continuing to sow wildflower seed at St Mary's Churchyard and also at Ogwell Cross Cemetery. And uh, that's something we've also been doing here in Abbotsgar as well recently. In Dunsford... There was a moth survey undertaken in the local churchyard and 70, yes, 70, 70 species were recorded. I think that's quite impressive. Linda, 
in Liverton asked villagers to send her sightings of hedgehogs, as well as information about existing hedgehog highways. Linda had a brilliant response from people, and records were submitted to iRecord and PTES's Hedgehog Street, which is fab. Linda is also monitoring river quality through the West Country CSI project and has signed up to do riverfly surveys for the River Teen Restoration Project. She's also in discussion with her parish council about managing verges for wildflowers. Well done, Linda. It sounds like you're a very busy bee indeed. Other wildlife wardens have been hosting stands to promote what we're up to, writing articles for parish magazines and more, including working together across Teambridge to survey several unconfirmed wildlife sites. Now, these are sites that have been noted as potentially special for wildlife, but have never been properly surveyed. Reports on these surveys have been sent to the Devon Biodiversity Records Centre, and if the sites meet criteria they will be designated as county wildlife sites, which gives them recognition and at least some protection from development. This project will be ongoing and surveys will recommence next spring when plant species are more visible. Now, if you have an area near you that you think could be useful to designate as a county wildlife site, I would encourage you to get in touch because it's certainly something that we are looking to do more of. Overall, it is great to hear about so much going on across the borough. Well done to all those mentioned here, as well as to those who weren't, but I know are beavering away in the background. Moving on, let's have a look at what our plant of the month is for October. Now that we've passed the autumn equinox, flowers are fewer and further in between, so let's make a point of enjoying the last few that hang on while we can. In October, you can keep an eye out for flowers such as toad flax. Now, common toad flax is a plant often seen on waste ground, grassland, roadside verges and hedgerows. Its yellow and orange flowers appear in June and they go on well into November. They look like the flowers of snapdragons, which are familiar garden plants to many of us, and they are often densely packed. These flowers give the plant its other common name of butter and eggs. I'll include a link to further information and a photo in case you'd like to take a look. And our bird to listen out for in October is the jay. These birds will often be found collecting acorns to stash away for the winter months. So woodlands rich in oak trees are a great place to settle down to listen for their call. They can be quite shy birds and they don't tend to like hanging around where there are people, but if you find an oak tree and settle down quietly for 10 minutes, you may well hear one squawking across the woodland. Here's a recording so you know what to listen out for. And again, I'll also put a link in the episode notes for more information on this lovely bird. And to finish off this month's podcast... How about a few things you can do at home to support wildlife? The easiest one is to simply sign a petition. Now, I don't know if you're aware about this, but George Eustace, our Environment Secretary, wants to remove the habitats regulations. And his reasoning for this is to simplify the planning process. In other words, make it easier to build on wild spaces. 
Now, the Habitats Regulations implement the Habitats Directive, which is a European law that protects nearly 900 wildlife sites in the UK, and it provides greater protection than our domestic designations, which include things like SSSIs or sites of special scientific interest. You can sign a petition asking the government not to do this via a link which is in the episode notes. Other things at this time of year that you could do to support wildlife include providing water sources, food and refuges for garden wildlife. Making your own compost to improve the health of soil in your garden is also a great idea. This makes plants more resilient and will increase the moisture holding capacity of your soil. Another useful thing to do is to try and reduce your water consumption, which can help protect our rivers. And you could try to reduce your carbon footprint. ACT has a carbon footprint tracker, which is a useful tool you could use as a starting point. I'll pop a link to it in the episode notes. They're also running a carbon cutters scheme, so I'll include a link to that too. I'd also like to mention that a volunteering opportunity has become available so if you've got a few hours spare each week and you like hedgehogs, then Elm Wildlife Hedgehog Rescue and Rehab Centre may well be the place for you. They're based out near Seelhane in Newton Abbott and you will need your own transport for getting there. And what they need is more committed volunteers to help with the running of the rescue. So they need at least six people a day to help with the chores. And those chores include cleaning food bowls, cleaning up cages, weighing the animals reporting on the health of the animals, preparing meals for the hedgehogs, shredding up newspapers, sweeping up the floors, mopping, and then final checks at the end of the shift. It's a pretty active role with some lifting and bending, so there is a need to be pretty physically active. If this role is of interest to you and you can commit to becoming a regular volunteer, you must be over 18, and you can contact the Rescue Centre via their Facebook page, which is at Saving Hedgehogs and send a message to the rescue via their Facebook page to express your interest. Please do not call the rescue centre because they get really busy and the lines need to be kept free for emergencies. So that brings us to the end of the September episode of the Devon Wildlife Warden podcast. I hope that you do feel inspired to do something for your local wildlife, and for now, I'll sign off and say goodbye. This podcast was written and produced by me, Emily Marbay, with music by Poddington Bear.